Hello everyone, um, so this next episode is an interview with uh, Michaela Robertson and I've decided what I'm going to do before I upload the episodes is uh, sit and listen to the whole interview once more through. Um, sometimes when you're asking questions or you're kind of having a conversation you don't have time to ask a question and formulate your thoughts and so I was thinking that after listening to the episode I can kind of, you know, expand on anything that I think was missed or anything that I think said wrong or anything that, you know, sometimes I have a follow-up conversation either before or after with the person and kind of clarify anything. Um, and you'll actually notice at the beginning of this episode, I do that a bit in regards to my previous interview with Jelaine Devogorsky. I just kind of talk about it for the first 10 minutes. And I think that's the thing I'll do going forward is give that episode a full listen, kind of let it stew and then summarize my thoughts on it. Um, I don't actually have a lot of thoughts on this interview. Um, it's an interesting topic. It's largely about motherhood. Um, and I kind of... It's an interesting choice for me, obviously. Uh, but something I actually think about a lot. Um, I think one of the nice things about this interview is that part of this podcast is, I think, me being a little facetious and at times just talking about myself. Um, you know, I'm largely doing this as an exploration of self and to kind of get all these thoughts and scrambled in my head and spew them out. But especially having Michaela on the podcast, who I was super excited about, is she's super intelligent and in the same thing has put a lot of thought into kind of unscrambling her thoughts on motherhood. And I have little to no input to provide, you know, and what it's like being a mother. But interestingly, and I go into this into the podcast at the beginning, is that me and Michaela have like very similar life trajectories up until the time she has children. And we have a very similar viewpoints on life and, uh, you know, we've interacted uh, throughout Yellowknife kind of, you know, in similar ways, but haven't crossed paths. And I think going forward, we're going to be a lot better friends due to this episode. So I, at the very least, it accomplished uh, one of my other goals in this episode, which is just connecting with more and more people in my community. Um, without further ado, I'll just play the audio recording from last night and hope you enjoy. All right, everyone, welcome to the uh, HMS Scandinavia Scandamaniac podcast live from the shores of Great Slave Lake. Uh, let us begin. Well, that was a little loud for the levels on the mic here. Um, before I kind of get into today's interview, I wanted to talk about my last episode in that uh, I actually was surprised. I expected absolutely no one to listen to it, but I think it has like 100 views right now, which is kind of funny. My mom called me and she'd listened to it. Uh, a couple of my good old childhood friends had a few things to say about it. Uh, it, was, it was kind of funny how much response I got to just putting out this, you know, completely unedited one hour rambling with my friend Jelaine. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about some of the responses I got. Uh, consistent response I got is uh, I told a story about me uh, spilling piss all over myself as a houseboater and uh, everyone liked that story. So, you know, typical if I tell stupid stories, at least someone's entertained. Um, the other response I got was from my friend Claudia, who's a teacher, who says I say like too much. Like, you know, I'm some sort of 13-year-old girl, and, uh, I'm gonna watch out for that, and if anyone's listening, uh, try to just not pay attention to it, because I was listening to myself after and noticing how much I say like, and then it just, the whole episode became unbearable after that, as you start counting and really picking apart your words. Um, and that was another thing, is that this is completely kind of a new medium to me, and... I think a lot of people share that when you listen to yourself recorded, you kind of cringe. And I managed to listen to that whole interview again and was just cringing the whole time. And, you know, we're all our own worst 
critic. So every time I said something, I'd be like, oh, I didn't like the way I said that, or like, oh, that's not really what I meant. Um, and this ties into some of the other feedback I got, probably from a lot of my friends who I was somewhat referring to on the podcast said, oh, you were just talking about feelings too much, which is kind of funny because I, I somewhat agree in that talking about feelings is just hard in the sense that it's hard to do and it's actually like mentally hard to do in the sense that feelings are not these verbal thoughts you have. They're kind of hard to put into words. And so a lot of the times when I was talking about how I felt about something, I'd have to take a 20 second pause. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily what constitutes good radio, but I appreciate all the people who managed to sit and listen to me and Jelaine ramble for an hour and a half. And I'll, I'll try to keep my thoughts a little more concise, but probably won't. And I'll probably still say like, and not improve on myself at all. Um, yeah, and the, the other thing I kind of reflected on is it was interesting that Jelaine was my first guest because she knows me very well. And I think a lot of people who heard that episode saw a side of me that they don't necessarily see. Even my mother called and she said she was making fun of me because people used to call me Mr. Monosyllable. I had years of my life where people would ask me things and I'd go, and grunt, where I'd just give one word answers. And I, I think this is a normal human trait in that we all kind of respond to the people we're around and, you know, we're all empathetic. And sometimes, you know, you can, you, you'll, you'll find yourself talking to a person with an accent and then you'll be mimicking their accent unintentionally. Or sometimes when you're in a conversation and someone says something you don't agree with, you, uh, you, you pick your battles, you know, it's like if the conversation is not really on that, you're not going to go on a tangent about how you don't agree with some statement they made um, and kind of avoid conflict. But that's something I'm kind of going to, work on as I go through this podcast it's very much just a in a lot of ways a self-exploration for me I, I, I mean I don't even know if I'm planned to make it entertaining for all anyone who's still listening to this but sorry about that it's really just a matter of exploration in that I've spent years kind of journaling my thoughts out and stewing on these things and then when I journal things and I tweak them with some intention of sharing them it's like it's very one-sided I never really share them ever um, and so there's something about this format where, you know, you don't get to edit and re-edit and look at your words before you release them. They kind of just come out with all their mistakes and idiosyncrasies like that, idiosyncrasies. <laughs> I can't even say that word. So I'll just keep going on that. But I think there's something to the medium and that it forces me to kind of ramble and as I'm doing now, but, uh, without further ado, my, uh, guest today is, uh, Michaela, and I'm going to ring the ship's bell. Uh, welcome to the HMS Scandamaniac podcast from the... Oh, one last feedback I wanted to get. So the great thing about SoundCloud and putting this on the internet is it's completely public. And I don't know how, but some guy who was clearly in the Navy wanted to tell me that my ship was not HMS, which is Her <laughs> Majesty's ship. I know he did not listen to the podcast. He just, like, found that and was like, there's no HMS ship called Scandamaniac. I'm well aware of that. I did not mean to cause offense to any of our service members. Welcome to the internet. Uh, Michaela, welcome Hi, to the HMS Scandamaniac. Uh, Thank you. Firstly, can you, uh, what do you think about the boat? It's cozy. I was like surprised, strangely, that it was so warm, which I suppose I shouldn't be. There's a fire. We can warm places. But it, yeah, it's cozy. It's, uh, it's, it's over on the other side. I expected it to be on houseboat bay yeah yeah this is its winter home we move and we move we have a summer and winter home this way i'm actually uh, connected to the grid i get that shore power which is it's nice you know no mm. dealing with generators or recharging my batteries such a luxury yeah um 
Michaela, perhaps you can introduce yourself and uh, maybe some kind of summarize our relationship. I don't actually remember when we first met. We ever um, we went to the same law school. Did we ever meet? We in did law go sc- to the same law school. I don't think we did go to. Uh, I don't think we met in law school. No. Okay. I think right. we met in Yellowknife. Um. Yeah. So. Sorry. What I'm supposed to? I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. About, give describe your life in my five life. minutes. My Can you life. do that? You know, like um, your quick autobiography. So I'm from a very small town, Lanark. I don't know why, but I really identify with being from this like little hick town. It's like 800 people, farming town. Yeah, I'm the very same way. Like I, I'm from Falder, which is actually like a smaller town, part of Summerland, and like it wasn't a part of my identity growing up, and I still hold on to it. Very totally. Much. Yeah, so I'm from Lanark. It's like an hour from Ottawa. Um, and moved to Toronto. First chance I got to get away from a small town. Um, I mean, I very much enjoyed it when I was young, but at some point just wanted a big city. Um, so lived in Toronto for some years. Um, loved that and everything it had to offer. Um, music, culture, good food. Um, then after some years in Toronto, went to Victoria and went to law school at UVic. Did you do your undergrad in Toronto? Yeah, I did my undergrad at York U. And political science. Oh yeah, I'm a political science major too. So it was a good chance to like pretend to be a Marxist and, um... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like every one of your professors, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean... Political science basically was my degree by default. I went to York U thinking I would pursue dance. I'm a dancer. Um, Knew, like, the pragmatic side of me knew that it wasn't a good idea. So I chose York because I might be able to go into dance, but still signed up for, like, psychology and I think international development studies. Changed majors a number of times. Finally landed on political science because it was... The degree I could take while, like, taking a huge variety of courses, I could take stuff in, like, anthropology and sociology and, like, philosophy and, like, I think an arts course. And somehow it all culminated in getting a political science degree. Yeah, that that sounds like my political (laughs) science degree in that it was kind of, uh, it might as well have been a general studies major in that I was, towards the end I was taking solely courses in, like, Middle Eastern history. But that was like I could tie it enough to political science. Yes. And, yeah. And there, yeah, there seems to be like a large number of electives and things that are like vaguely related. So that's what I ended up with. And I stayed in Toronto for a little while after that. Um, ended up working as a receptionist in a graphic design firm, and then like canvassing for charities on the street. You know, those like people on yeah, the corner yeah, that yeah, are like give money to whatever, to. save the children. Yeah. Who did you work for? Um, public. Uh, public. Outreach, I think, was the name of the company. But oh. I like canvas oh, like for a variety get, of yeah, yeah. charities. Different contracts. I didn't yeah, know it's like totally. a contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like Amnesty International and like a variety of charities. Charities. So I had like these jobs that weren't any at all related to political science. Yeah. And um, ended up deciding to go to law school. How, how do you feel about political science now? Mm, I feel <laughs> like I enjoyed studying it. Like I had fun in university. I enjoyed thinking about the topics in our classes and like writing essays and stuff but like I can't like I mean it wasn't useful it was useful I suppose in like 
honing my ability to think, <laughs> but not in any, I didn't, I don't feel like I got anything employable out of it. Yeah. I, so I, I kind of, that's a leading question because I want to rant about my views. I have this belief that if you still kind of are passionate about your undergrad, like you just did it wrong. Like I think <laughs> there's so much bullshit in academia about it yeah. not being applicable and it kind of like not really giving you a variety of perspective that like I, my, I have friends who like took philosophy degrees and they're like, I can't even like get into the classic philosophical debates anymore. They're just annoying me. And I feel the same way about like right. when someone brings up like the Israel-Palestine right. conflict yeah, or something totally. and they're like, these like, they like they bring up like an abstract John Stuart Mill political science kind of debate. I'm just like, why? Why are you engaging with this right now? Yeah. And, uh, and perhaps that's wrong. I've, I think maybe I've like, gotten out of university and I like to read a book on it and like you know but I, I think there was just so much like you're just so young and opinionated and I like had really strong opinions on like the war in Afghanistan that now right. I'm just like oh my god like you know nothing and yeah. you nothing. totally and I feel so far removed from some of it that I don't yeah I don't feel as invested in it as I used to like in my you know my arguments or my positions yeah and so many people go to especially political science majors like all think they're going to work for the UN or something yeah and it's just like Amnesty International yeah, yeah. <laughs> instead I was canvassing on the street corner getting money yeah from. exactly right? it's like <laughs> and then you like start living your life and you realize like oh you know what there's a lot of value to like municipal politics or like totally. what's going on in my small community and maybe I shouldn't be trying to save the planet it's a that's 19 year old yeah no I definitely feel like I trended towards like having uh concerns that were more like community oriented or at the more tangible level less abstract yeah definitely and I I, I think that's you know a great place to start <laughs> um okay so you go to law school yeah so then I went to law school as like um a thing to do to I guess be more employable and I'm not sure still yes. it seemed interesting <laughs> I think I did it for the same reason um, <laughs> so I went to UVic um just to go across the country because it looked pretty and they had the lowest tuition um lived there for the duration of my studies um and yeah I was I had a few co-op positions while I was in law school so I was in a law co-op program um, which basically just meant I got to work while I was studying. I would alternate work and study placements. And one of my placements was um, in Yellowknife, which is how I came here initially. Yeah, exact same story as mine. <laughs> you make law co-op and placement in Yellowknife. You got stuck. Um, kind of back to you, you know, Amnesty International dream. What was it like going into law school? Like, did you still go into law school? You said you wanted to make yourself more employable, but... Do you fi find that law school, like, changed you in a way? Like, were you going to save the planet and then you totally. now are a government lawyer? And totally. Just, policy hack? Yeah. No, I, I completely thought it would give me um, an, a skill set that would let me, like, be a good advocate and, like, work for Amnesty International and, like, do those game-changing cases. And then I quickly realized, like, A, people who do that work, that's their entire life. Like, it absolutely good for them like that's amazing work but it it consumes you really i think um and also be like you can't change the system by yourself how naive of me to think that um so eventually changed my 
career aspirations and now work for government. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I think I'm in the same boat. I remember uh, my favorite poli-sci professor was Matt Young, and he's written books on the Canadian Constitution, is not a lawyer, very much an activist. Um, and he said his problem with law school is he kept losing great activist students to like, you know, 60 hour a week jobs that he was super pissed that they didn't like stick on his side. And I was definitely one of them where I yeah. was like, you know, radical left winger in UVic and like super involved with the union, went to law school and then like found myself in law school, like being a crown prosecutor. And then like all of a sudden, like, I think part of it is like, you realize you can't change the system, but I think another part of it is like, whether it's indoctrination or it's just you become older and more educated is you start to actually realize, you know, perhaps there are a lot of benefits to the system or like, yeah. perhaps like, and the way law is taught, especially common law is like going back to like Magna Carta and like, you know, that it's all kind of connected and evolving and sometimes the way to enact changes and as rapid as you want it to be, you know, which is frustrating when you're, 25 or whatever yeah i mean it's, for me it's hard to identify where when exactly the change happened but some some time over the course of law school i decided i wasn't going to be working for amnesty international yeah I... um and um yeah so i came i decided to come back to Yellowknife, where i'd had one of my placements it was like a little bit of a pragmatic decision. There's jobs here. They're decently well-paying. And I had a massive student debt. And I liked it well enough. Plus, Yellowknife is cool. And I didn't know that until I like came here on a uh, placement as a student. I realized that it's really awesome up here. It's like isolated enough from the rest of the world that you can get away from some of the 9 to 5 chaotic bullshit and you, you know you don't have the commute to deal with and some of that stuff plus there's like good pe people just doing interesting things yeah i think it as a place to start your career any career it's kind of one of the best places on earth if you're a young person and then also just i talked about this a bit before and that like yellow knife is just like anything you want to do like there's people who are willing to support you and get it done and it's like yeah I mean, as long as you don't want to do it, like, super professionally and, like, with lots of funding. But if you want to be an amateur at something, yeah, we'll help you. Yeah, for sure. And you can, like, really quickly become involved. I got involved with the Yellowknife Dance Collective when I came. And, like, there's opportunities to perform and to, you know, lead classes. And, like, I'm not a good dancer. But just because I wanted to, I could do this. So Yeah, and, so like, many it's... many examples like that, I think, here... Yeah, and it's very peer-oriented in that, like, you perform to your peers, and then they see you, and they, like, reaffirm it. They're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that about you, Michaela. Good show. And it's like, anywhere else, usually, if you put on a performance, like, you know, two people in the crowd. Here, you know, a hundred. Yeah. Which is, you know, in itself kind of affirms this, like, continuing momentum. Totally. Um, okay, so the other reason I kind of wanted to talk to you on about this podcast is both, I think, we have a lot in common in that, like, you know, we're lawyers, you came up on co-ops, and... <laughs> Apparently we're both political science majors. Um, and, you know, now we both have the, we have the same position in government, this kind of hybrid thing. But I, a fundamental difference between us, uh, other than, you know, our sex, is that uh, you are a mother of two children. And I, can you kind of give me a timeline to frame that in here? Yeah. Of when you met your partner and when you gave Became birth to your first child. <laughs> yeah, so I 
met my partner when I was up here on my first, on my law co-op. So the first time I came to Yellowknife, I guess it was in 2013. Um, and he was here because he wanted to stay in Canada. So he had a work visa, basically. Uh, he's from France. So, yeah, we met. Um, I had to leave after four months. We had, like, a quick romance. I was leaving to go um, article in Ontario. A little fling with a Frenchman, eh? A little fling <laughs> with a Frenchman in his cabin or shack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was charmed by Yellowknife, for sure. Um, and I was leaving to article in Ontario, in Belleville. He thought the name sounded cool, Belleville. It's like beautiful city. <laughs> So he was like, yes, I will move to Benvin with you. Um, and yeah. So wow, he, after four months. After four so months, like, I invited him via poem. I wrote him a poem and invited him to move to Belleville. So you guys me. like fell in love We hard. fell in love <laughs> <laughs> under the Aurora Borealis. Um, yeah, so he moved with me to Belleville, Ontario, which I don't know if you've been there, but it's not very nice. It's kind of a shithole. <laughs> no, I haven't, but. Um, so the name does not really convey what's happening in Belleville. Um, yeah, it's, it's fine, but no, nothing on Yellowknife. So we lived there basically for the duration of my articles and decided quickly to move back to Yellowknife. Um, did a little stint in France during my maternity leave, which was basically my maternity die because I was on leave from nothing. I'd finished articles. Um, I'd actually finished articles early, um, because I was having a baby um so yeah that's where the first one came when i was in belleville articling which is basically like as a lawyer you have to work for another lawyer um and then once you're done this process you can officially be a lawyer you get called to the bar as you know yeah yeah um like, similar to how doctors do residency yeah, is what totally. i say people to make myself sound like i'm comparable to a doctor <laughs> um Okay, so that's really quick. Like within the first year of you and Nico knowing each other, you're pregnant. Yeah, yeah, and within I, it was in like a, within a month or something of him moving to Belleville. I was oh pregnant. wow! Yeah. So I had like <laughs> this like Frenchman that I'd met in Yellowknife living with me in Belleville. I was articling like pregnant from the beginning of articles. Luckily, articling is about the same length of time <laughs> as it takes to like grow a baby. Um, so finished articles a couple weeks early because I had the baby. And then was off for a year in France and um, came here after that to a job. Oh, wow. What was that year in France like? Like, were you with in Nico's hometown? Where's Nico from in France? He's from Lyon in oh. France. Okay. So we spent time there to basically so I could, like, get to know his family. <laughs> and they could meet now their, like, grandkid or, like, niece, nephew, whatever the case may be. Um, and... I could get to know, like, the hometown of my now husband, because we also got married. He was going to have to leave um, Canada, because he's had no, like, proper visa. So, it, well, was a, they... it was a really busy year. We got married, we had a kid, I got called to the bar, and we went to France. Yeah, like, to me, my <laughs> articling year was so stressful, and then finally becoming a lawyer was finally this, like years of university and stamp of affirmation and it's hilarious that in that same year for you like becoming a lawyer is probably the least meaningful thing of those totally. three you know yeah, like... i have a picture of getting called to the bar and i'm holding my like newborn baby with nico next to me and like oh what is oh and i'm moving to france like, for a year yeah like... yeah 
We were considering trying to make a go of life in France, but a common law degree is kind of useless in France, especially when you don't speak French very well. So we came back. So you came back to Yellowknife? We came back to Yellowknife, yeah. From France, I found found work in Yellowknife. Um, Just, yeah, reaching out to old... um, old employers and and yeah got a job up here okay so what what year would that have been when we came back yeah um 2016 2015 yeah okay so like three four years 2016 2016 okay yeah yeah because my child who was was one elliot was one so it was in 2016 that we came back. So we've been back for a few years. Um, okay, so, I mean, I guess I kind of want to get into you some of the larger questions of motherhood. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, perhaps we should, let's, let's finish the story up until the present. Okay, so you, you also have a second kid. Right. Um, what's, what's the difference in age there? And kind of um, tell me that story. Yeah, <laughs> so the oldest, Elliot, is three years old. Um, almost four. He'll be four in March. And then that will mark three years since we came to Yellowknife. Um, and the second is nine months. So she was born um, in April of last year of 2018. And um, so there's three years between my kids. One boy, one girl... Um, Elliot and Zoe, and yeah, currently I'm on mat leave um, with Zoe, and so have I'm a full time mom, and I'm going back to work um, when she's one, so in a couple months. Yeah, so full time mothering and uh, sort of. Yeah, everything that comes with everything being a full-time mother slash lawyer who has to go back to work in a month. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think part of the reason I wanted to kind of talk about motherhood, and I, I'm specifically using the term motherhood because it's like, I do, I mean, A, it's like a, a topic I know, obviously, know absolutely nothing about, <laughs> you know, not being a mother nor possibly ever being one. And I do think it's fundamentally distinct from fatherhood or parenthood like I do think it is like the gender term motherhood has importance I mean biologically you're the one who grows the child and also just like for so many other larger reasons I've been exploring in my life you know there's this kind of if you're Freudian or whatever in your psychological approach like your relationship with your mother is so fundamental to everything else and I like have just started to kind of unpack like viewing my mother as a human you know for so many years of your life your mother is just your mom and she's this like larger than life figure and you know you don't really view their struggles and what they went through and like sometimes I look back on my relationship with my mother who I'm sure is probably going to listen to this so I'm somewhat (laughs) hesitant to be too oddly enough I'm hesitant to say too many nice things but uh anyways uh like it's I realize with my own mother like how amazing of parents she was or both of mine were in that like they were raising three boys who were all shitheads but also at the same time like managing to live their lives and like take on these projects and live in a rural area and grow a bunch of food and do all these like crazy things that I now as like an individual would find intimidating 
let alone to do them well having children. And so also I've just been like kind of I'm always exploring these like ideals of the masculine and the feminine. And I think they, they seem to be coming up so much in our culture lately, you know, whether it's this toxic masculinity talk or whether it's people like ch my friends choosing not to have children. And it's like these like large, really fundamentally human concepts keep kind of coming up in my life in different ways. And I keep thinking about them. And uh, so my goal in talking to you <laughs> is to understand motherhood as you're the definitive expert, if that's not too much pressure. Yeah, no. just a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being <laughs> facetious. But I, I guess kind of what I would, I would like to ask you or start with is like, if you could kind of, I think there's this, there's this great thing where, to me, in a lot of ways, we're so similar and like, we had so much in common and then your life just takes a rapidly different path than mine, you know, like, yeah, I have, I have a baby yeah, and then another baby. Exactly. So if you could kind of talk about like your transformation from that, like political kind of self who then goes to law school and then gets practical and then becomes a mother and like what your old self is like to your new self and how much you've kind of separated that out and processed yeah. how much has happened. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, having a mom like becoming a mom is like a dramatic blow to your former life like on a really fundamental day-to-day -day, in a day-to-day -day way your former life is just done with like you can't spend your time doing the same things and thinking about the same things as you could before because now you have this small person that relies on you completely for like their continued existence um, so all of a sudden, basically the center of your world shifts from yourself to this other being that's dependent on you completely. Yeah. Which is a very interesting thing for me because I'm like, I now realize I'm like a very egotistical person. And I think I'm also like, in order to even think that you should make a podcast and anyone would ever want to listen to you, like you have to be a bit of a narcissist or like in order to like think that like I have anything worth saying, but I'm also a person who's like explored psychedelics or explored way like intense meditation or like ways to kind of like kill that ego but i like this idea of like nothing does it better than like your biological clock kicking in you having this child who like it's millions of years of evolution have told you like oh you're a mammal you main goal in life is to now take care of this not even yourself like yeah totally and and you really like it happens in a way that you're very not aware of. Like, it's like at a cellular level, you're quite transformed. You have this baby, your world as it was is destroyed. So for that brings with it positive and negative things. Um, and yeah, now without even thinking about it, the center of your world is this other person. So you're now spending your time taking care of them. And it's, it's just the way it is, it's what you have to do. Um, so of course that transforms the, um, the way that you see yourself in the world and your perception of yourself. Um, yeah. Is there somebody knocking at your door? No, it, I, I was wondering if the mic can pick that up. So what happens is that like the ice, like I have a few, actually, I don't, I, there's probably a houseboater who's going to listen to this, so I can ask them and explain why. I have a few theories. I think the ice pressures just run along and hit the boat, 
and they crack. Okay. Or sometimes there's like loose ice floating in the water below that hits the boat. Or sometimes the boat just settles and the ice, like, sometimes they're really loud pings. Anyways, there's a variety of sounds that ice makes. And you can lay in bed. I've even tried to get a few on the mic of, like, I want to, like, put it together and make a song. The ice makes so many weird cool. noises. The most consistent one, which you just heard, is, like, boom. But boom. it's not a knock. Okay, no, it's definitely not a knock. That it's just cool. the ice hitting the steel hull. I haven't spent enough time in houseboats. Yeah. But, yeah, so, yeah. Radically transformed. Um, <laughs> back to that. Um, yeah, so so it's sort of confusing at first, like especially like very confusing. In fact, like you, nobody tells you what to expect once you have a kid. Um, you're it, well, they do, but you're told to expect that everything will be brilliant, and and you know your undying love for this child will be wonderful the moment they're born and laid on your chest and nothing else will matter which you know it, that does there is that but it's not it, there's also the like dealing with your life as it was stopping right so the things that you enjoy doing the way you spend your time has to just kind of be put aside for you to become the 24 7 caretaker of this infant who like at first they're feeding like hourly you're not sleeping so you're sleep deprived um, and all that comes with that. So it's, it's often depressing. Like a lot of new moms, if they don't experience full on depression, experience like what's called the baby blues. It's, I don't know anybody who hasn't gone through it a little bit. Um, it's just really, you know, if it's not for the hormonal changes, it's for the sleep, it's because of the sleep deprivation. Um, or like I said, the loss of your own time. Um, so all of these things are going on and it's hard to kind of, um, make sense of it at first. Um, and it's only like, I suppose now after three, almost four years of being a mom plus carrying the kid before that I'm like starting to really just realize it's okay to like, let go of the self I was before and like embrace the gifts that come with motherhood and the like opportunity at introspection and connection that comes with that. Um, but really there ha has to be like a mourning of your former self because you can't, you're, you're not the same person at, like on a cellular and like psychological level. You're really changed. Yeah. And I think that's the part I, I find super interesting. It's like, I think anyone could explain to you that like, what happens when you have a kid is that like what the rest of us do is we prioritize what's important in our life and we have relative control over what we prioritize you know and then what happens when you're a mother it's like no you prioritize the child or you know the vast majority mothers do and then you get to like on a secondary level prioritize those other things in your Showering. life you, yeah <laughs> yeah i yeah so many times i've like had to leave the house without like properly showering and brushing my teeth because you have to prioritize taking care of your kids. You have to make sure they have breakfast, that they're properly dressed for the winter, that, you know, they have what they need for the day. Like Elliot has to have his food for daycare and like that they have been hugged and kissed and like feel like loved and validated before you can just like take care of your own needs. And like, of course, on the other hand, you need to make time to take care of yourself to be properly able to take care of your kids. But yeah, you're, I mean, your priorities completely shift, and they, they kind of have to. Um, and the interesting thing is, so there are moments where I 
resent it and I resent like a kid being in the bathroom while I'm peeing and not giving me a moment <laughs> but like generally yeah. you just do it like I, I before I would be like how am I gonna wake up every hour and like not go insane and like you just kind of do it because you don't have a choice like you are that child's mother and I that's like a huge realization you know you have to kind of just do it um and and your your maternal instincts are a real thing in my experience they kick in and you like take care of them um yeah all that with the huge caveat that like you know postpartum depression is also a very real thing so there's there's moments where like you don't feel entirely capable of stepping up to the task because you have so much going on and like I said you're sleep deprived and uh you've got hormonal changes especially right after giving birth um yeah so I don't know that was totally a tangent but no I, I think that's completely on topic um yeah and I guess it's super interesting to me this like t I kind of get the like you know you just you just do it and you become like you know, in a lot of ways, you can just do it without thinking. And it's just like, yeah, this is what I do now and blah, blah, blah. But what I what I like talking to you is that you've got to this point where you've also you've done it and you're doing it. But there's also this all this like self-reflection that I think probably a lot of people are lacking or or just like you don't even have time to self-reflect. And I, if you could kind of go into a little bit more about like what you mean on like when it changes you on a cellular level. And, and I mean, I, I obviously that's probably a thing that's hard to even put into words, <laughs> but it's, it's just so interesting to me that you've like, you've thought about this enough to be like, no, I've changed like not only psychologically, but like biologically, like I'm a different human. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think like it, it's taken some time to find the space to think about these things because when you first have your kid really they take up all your time night and day and I've had to like really deliberately carve out moments like washing the dishes or like at night when I'm not sleeping to um think about some of this stuff um yeah and I suppose for me what it means is like so like you've on a cellular level, like, you age, like, 11 years when you have a kid, right? So you are, like, physically different than before. But you've also, like, grown this person inside of you without knowing how to do it. Like, nobody's like, here's how to grow a baby. Your body just does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, your body takes... Your body has this knowledge, this, like, deep knowledge that you don't understand. It grows the baby. It, like, makes the milk. Um, you feed the baby and nourish the baby. You don't... There's a lot of things, like, you'll want to, like, a lot of moms feel this anxiety for, like, how am I going to do this properly? But, like, you've already done a ton of the work by the time you give birth without even thinking about how to do the work. Yeah, that's super interesting. It's kind of like, you know, how we breathe and our heart beats. And it's like, there's this whole subconscious bodily level that we're not aware of. And then, you know, certain people kind of can tap into it at times. But it's like, I've never thought about that in the sense that, like, oh, yeah. And then there's this whole other level, if you're a female, where you just, like, your subconscious brain can also grow a baby, produce milk, totally. and do all these other things. So for me, what it's made me realize is, like, we harbor, like, an incredible amount of knowledge in our bodies. We're not really in the driver's seats. Like, our consciousness, we aren't, like, deciding to do these things. Our, it, it's knowledge that is really in our body, like, that the cosmos has, like, 
um, evolved to a point where we can now people can now exist and make babies, right? Like. It's, yes, there's millions of years of evolution behind yeah, that knowledge and yeah. getting it right and, you know. And it's not in my brain. Like, it's not me that's the decider of these things. It's 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 really, like, cosmic knowledge. Like, something more, you know, fundamental to what it is to be human. So I found that I've, um, through motherhood, like, really felt um, a deep connection to other people like my children first and then my own parents um it's just you realize that really energetically like we are all connected and it's something that sure I guess I'd thought about before but I you know as a teenager classically you feel really like an individual like you like leave the womb of your parents home and you feel like this individualist um, automaton that's like out there in the world by yourself yeah, yeah. and then once you make children in my experience that kind of uh, dissipates it's like an ego shedding like you're you are no longer the center of the universe you are deeply connected to this person you grew like in your body who's kind of like an extension of yourself like it's changes it changed my perspective anyways um and how i or my experience of the world, my experience of like relationships between people. Um, yeah, I, I love that a lot. I, I um, Carl Jung, Jungian psychologist who loves archetypes, has this thing about like one of the biggest transformations in human experience is that like we're not just like an atom swirling around in chaos in the world. We're actually kind of like a link on this chain of human evolution or this helix right and and he talks about archetypes of like the feminine and the masculine and like brings motherhood into this and that like i love this idea of like clearly if you've now realized this by having your own child like well so did your mother and then their mother before them and then it just like these the ways people talk about like family as sacred or like you know it's something you we don't really understand as humans i think or like and a lot of the times you're dismissive of it but then like when i'm imagining you have this transformative experience and it's just like suddenly more and more dots connect totally. like, you know you're not just like oh they're on your own it's like oh wow like yeah no when i talked actually today i asked my mom i'm like were you like thank goodness she gets it now like when i had children <laughs> she said she said no i don't know she had some reason for saying no but but I, but i i feel like on you know, but like then when I also told her what I just told you about like my change and understanding after having kids, she was like, yes, totally. Like she got that and she, she said, yeah, you know, I never felt like it was a ton of work. Like obviously it's a ton of work day to day, but it wasn't a difficult choice to make. She said that she also like totally got the idea that the center of the universe shifts and you just take care of this kid and it's enjoyable. Like it's, they're really needy, really needy, needy as fuck. But it's also somehow enjoyable to like fulfill their needs and watch them grow and like do all that you can to ensure, you know, as best you can that their experience of the world is one that is positive and that they are happy and that they, you know, function well in this world and don't feel isolated because, you know, you brought them into it. So. <laughs> Yeah, and you'd be, you would be hard-pressed to find any moral philosophy out there that, does, that doesn't, like, at least contain some sense of, like, bringing your ego down or, like, realizing that, you know, you're a little more interconnected and, like, you know, and 
you should be a little selfless or like not always be thinking about yourself as virtuous. Like, you know, clearly that gets in so many different religions and philosophical ways. And also tied to that is like in doing that, like taking on responsibility is like the way to live a virtuous life. And I, I mean, there is no greater responsibility than motherhood. Like you're raising another human who then will go out into the world and do like the the consequences of your actions there are just they ripple in time totally. forever unlike any decision i could make as a you know a single male living on a boat like <laughs> yeah i mean they're like the future people that are going to be impacting the world right so it becomes it suddenly seems to have more gravity like um what you teach them and how you teach them to be seems to have more gravity. So I find myself spending more um, time reflecting on how I want to be. And like, you know, suddenly actions really do matter because they, they don't understand if you try to tell them, you know, this is how you ought to be, but you're acting completely differently. They understand the way you act. That's what's matters for a little child. So, um, Yes, I find myself putting more thought and effort into, like, day-to-day interactions, you know, with my family or with friends or people around me. Yeah, that's that's interesting because, like, so you, you're kind of a role model 24-7. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny this came, came up because during my the last podcast I released, I had a few people, like, comment, like, yeah, that's fine you say all that, Rylan, but, like, you don't practice a lot of those things. And, like, I recognize myself as, like, being very hypocritical at times. And I, I was, I kind of, like, think it's, like, in a way, though, I don't necessarily know if there's always an issue with, like, the the do as I say, not as I do mentality. It's, like, if you uh, ask a religious Puritan for advice on alcohol, it's, like, well, why are you doing that? They're going to say, do not drink. And who cares about that advice? And then if you talk to the seasoned alcoholic who's 10 years sober, who's like, no, you shouldn't drink. You're like, oh, okay. Like, I'll take that opinion from you. But I guess the nice thing about, you know, once again, being a single male who lives on a boat is I can kind of do whatever I want. And the most of the consequences are going to be consequences for me. And I'm not really ever thinking of myself as a role model. Please don't everyone any think that or think that what I know what the hell I'm talking about. But then when you talk to your kid, it's like, that person thinks you know what you're oh, talking yeah, about. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, and it really impacts them, the way you react, and your emotions. Like, I find kids are incredibly intuitive. They, like, pick up on what you're feeling. Even if you don't know you're feeling away, they'll pick up on it. Like, the other day, yeah. my my kid was like, Mom, you seem nervous. Because I've been working with him on naming emotions, and I've been working with him on naming anxiety um, I find he gets anxious and then kind of acts up and has a tantrum. So he, he told me I was nervous. And he's like, Mom, you're nervous. You need to breathe. <laughs> and he told me to take a deep breath. It's like when he modeled deep breathing as I do with him. And I hadn't even noticed that I was, like, nervous or anxious. Wow, that's so interesting. And when it's I like... thought about it, I was like, shit, yeah, I am. And, you know, it really, it doesn't even, it's not even just, like, I need to act well, what you do. But also, like... I need to genuinely feel good because if I don't genuinely feel good, if I'm faking it, if I'm faking like wanting to play with him, if I'm faking being calm or whatever, he's going to like pick up on it. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> I think that's probably something we, uh, we discount is in how aware kids are and how much they know. And, and I think that's a perfect example in that like Elliot there is actually more aware than you. Like they are just so in tune to like these frequencies that 
we've long since, you know, blocked out for whatever reasons. And that's super Yeah, to any adult, I would have passed as being calm and whatever, and not even to myself. But yeah, he picked up on it. And when I thought about it, I was like, yes, you know what? I am kind of anxious and nervous. And I was, took a moment to like calm down with him. And um, yeah, so yeah, you really have to, I find for me, it's been like a good opportunity to like go inward you have the time, because once they're in bed, you're, like, not going to go out. <laughs> um, I mean, you do when you don't have the time. You're sleep-deprived and exhausted. But, you know, I think it's important to take the time. And, um, yeah, so you go inward and really just, like, look at, you know, what I value. Um, take a look at, you know, the big questions about how I think the world is and how it ought to be and blah 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 well and kids are annoying and they're persistent and yeah. you have to teach them basically everything yeah. so eventually like you're gonna get a question on like does god exist and you're like oh god damn it i i didn't ever i didn't have an opinion on this before but like you know you have to try and tell them something that's at least half ass and you yeah. know makes sense to you you become their authority on like reality kind of like yeah. they ask like, anything that they want to understand, they ask you. And they're constantly asking you questions. And it can be easy to just be like, oh, I don't know. Because you can get annoyed. Like, it's normal. You're going to get annoyed. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to, like... But what you say to them really matters. Um, was it recording? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's okay. recording. I was just turning the volume down in my headset. <laughs> That's going to be on the podcast now, just so you know. Because okay. I don't know how to edit. That's okay. It's fine. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. So how how you you're like the curator of reality for them, kind of. Yeah, which is I, the the most responsibility I think anyone could take on, and if you're not kind of in touch of, with your own reality or what you think it is, it's like, yeah, it's another one of those things of like. That's such a cool way of saying it because you know we are just so much in so many ways our parents and like. Yeah. Totally. In ways we don't even understand and they yeah. don't understand. And if you're the curator of this person's reality, when they grow up, if you were, like, fucked up about something, like, they're going to carry that into there because For at sure. some point they picked up on it, you know? Yeah, and that's where, like, the examination of values comes in. Often what we think we care about is just, like, baggage from what we were told to care about growing up. And, like, you know, if you don't put in the effort, you'll just pass that on even if you know really fundamentally it's not something you value right it might just be something you think you ought to value or like you've been taught to value um yeah so like i feel like it's a huge job and like to do it while you it requires incredible effort which you know can be completely exhausting and like depleting and maddening and you know, I totally get why a lot of people, myself included, find the transition to parenthood to be, like, very destabilizing. And and without, like, this active... Like, in, for me, the active effort to, like, reframe my experience of it has been really helpful. Because um, within, like, in the first couple of years, you're just like, what is going on? And you're, like, trying to hang on to this, like, former self. Like, you're like, I can still be myself. I can still do these things I enjoy. I can just get a babysitter and everything will be fine. But, like, things are changed, have changed, like, whether you want to recognize it or not, because you, what you spend your time thinking about and doing, uh, doing on a daily basis has shifted. So, like, for me, just, like, letting go, like, letting go has been huge, and, like, embracing, 
where I'm at as a mom and like the gifts that are in that, you know, this like incredible love that makes no sense that you have for your kid brings with it a lot of gifts. And so yeah, I've been trying to like embrace that. Of course, not letting go entirely of like what I enjoy, like still making time for myself, but like accepting that like who I was before is really not who I am now, you know, um, yeah, things have changed and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, so how does this relate to... So for me, obviously, being a lawyer is probably one of my biggest identifying traits, you know? Like, if I'm going to name the five things to people and I have to do it in one word, lawyer is one of them. But you're in that same boat and it's like you're going back to work in a month here. And, you know, like, where does career and lawyer fit into your identity now? And, you know, I I know you fairly well to know that you have no plans of being, you know, 70 hour work week, like corporate counsel or anything. Mm -hmm. But, you know. Yeah. I mean, being a lawyer has definitely um, become like less important um, in terms of my identity. I actually asked to go back to work at 80 percent so that I can have more time with my family, just having seen the benefit that comes to my older kid, Elliot, um, as a result of me, like, being more present and not being as stressed out and such, I want to, like, keep that going. So, yeah, so so work has na- is now, you know, less important to me than, than I guess, being a mom. Um, and, yeah, so it's when I suppose not, it's not as key of a part of my identity as it was before. Um, though I also wouldn't, like, when people ask, like, who are you? What's important to you? I don't usually answer. I'm a mom just because there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. Like it is, it is like a key part of like my life and what matters to me. Um, but no, and I imagine it's like, well, and saying that is like, it's kind of a cop out for who you are as an individual, you know? Totally. And like, you know, when people, people have, unfortunately, a really one dimensional idea of motherhood until I guess they are, are moms. But typically, even myself before I was like, why don't moms ever like take care of themselves and like wash their hair? And like, they just don't have the time and like their priority shift. And you know, there's a whole stereotype of like a soccer mom who like has a minivan and like, forgets how to dress nicely and like cuts her hair into like a bob i have a bob haircut since i've been a mom too coincidentally um but you know like you also have a minivan (laughs) yeah but like the stereotypes that go around with motherhood completely like erase that person and so i just yeah it's, it's an it's an important identifier for me um but it's like how i frame it it isn't conveyed if I just say, like, I'm a mom. So, like, it's not something that I would I say when I'm, like, meeting somebody. Like, hi, I'm Michaela. I'm a yeah, mom. Yeah. Like... <laughs> but, yeah. No, I, I, I think I really like this idea of, like, you know, your kids are going to pick up on how you're feeling. They're going to pick up on when you're faking. And as a result of that, I think there's, like, this onus to, like find your true self and be your true self especially if you're going to create a reality for them and you're going to do like take on this responsibility and 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 i like i picture the image of like you know there's like super mom who's like she's working 50 hours a week and she has a career and then she like goes to the pack meeting and she's judgmental of other moms and her hair is done (laughs) nice and she's like oh i can't believe you did that in front of your kids and it's like 
fuck you, Susan. I know you're fucking taking drugs and <laughs> chugging wine and like your kid knows too, okay? Like don't <laughs> pretend like you can be like so judgmental and no one else is gonna pick up on it. And I like this idea that like, you know, we're imperfect humans and we got our flaws, but like when you deal with them and your kid sees that you're dealing with them, like they're going to see that's a way to solve problems, not just ignore them or fake your way through them. Yeah, totally. It's been, like, a, a really, really an opportunity to, like, um, confront myself, you know, whereas before in my life I could kind of, like, run away from, like, that thing that happens when you're by yourself and you have these, like, feelings of sadness and, like, loneliness and confusion that creep up. And, you know, if you're single and you have all the time, you can just, like, go to a party or, like, I don't know, take psychedelic drugs or, like, see friends or, all like... things I love. Or, like, travel or, like, move to a new place. I was, like, a like chronic mover. I kept moving to new places and not staying put. So you can do these things to, like, distract yourself and have new experiences and be like, yeah, this is great. I'm great. I'm fine. I'm healthy. But then, you know, if you quiet down, that, like, sadness just, like, creeps back. So as a m- parent... As a mom, in my experience, you have to confront that because you have all these quiet moments and all these moments of self-reflection and that sadness is still going to be there. You haven't run away from it and you can't run away from it. You can't just like pick up your kids and like keep on partying and like traveling. It's like becomes very challenging. So you have to confront that. And I decided I wanted to like, of course, like definitely I had moments where I like was like sinking into depression I had some postpartum depression um I hired a um a philosophical therapist um at some point before I had Zoe so I was pregnant and like struggling can, can you clarify a, what a philosophical therapist so a philosophical is as opposed therapist to another therapist they're they're basically like a, a philosopher so they don't have like credentials as a counselor you can't expect them to like diagnose you with like depression or something people with philosophy degrees are trying to get jobs <laughs> you created a whole new market so yeah or like people who are like yeah totally they're like philosophers so like they have um often they're teachers like um they teach at a university or whatever they like can write or and they they feel that they have like valuable insight into like the human condition and experience and they put themselves up for hire as like these kind of therapists but basically it's just somebody with whom you can like talk through the questions you're asking and they'll offer like a reasonable sounding board and somebody who will like ask help you ask the right questions and like look to the right authors i have like oh, a wow. reading list it was like who really was on your reading list um she so she suggested somebody she loves like Nietzsche but she actually ended up suggesting for me um oh my gosh what the heck's his name this guy that she hadn't read so it was kind of irresponsible because she like recommended an author that she hadn't read who she later read and said like oh I'm sorry I recommended like that new agey <laughs> author to you so like what? I know it was this like this is why therapists <laughs> need credentials it was, it was not anyways but I actually did find like some interesting voices and authors through her um and so like sam harris is really interesting like she got me into like questions related to like free will and anyway stuff that i find interesting and had been thinking about before but she like help would help like ask more pointed questions and aside from that one epic fail um generally had like good insight um so i hired her and she worked with me just via skype because she's out of toronto um until i had zoe and 
yeah, so, like, using that as a way to just, like, dive into the questions that keep coming back, like, you know, get it, get out of, getting, trying to get out of, like, this, like, constant, like, existential crisis, low-level depression that keeps creeping up, realizing that, like, I was gonna have to live a quieter life, so I, I wanted to, like, make it a bit healthier and more, um, yeah, more even-keeled, and, yeah, so then I've, in my bits of free time found that exploring this, these questions have been like really cathartic and really helpful and help me like just be, um, a better rock for my kids. Yeah. That, wow. That's super interesting. I, I love the idea of philosophical therapist. I'm going to look that up and maybe my new career path after lawyer. <laughs> um, yeah. And well, I think I suffer from the, like the grass is always greener syndrome where they're like, I want to be a gypsy syndrome. And I think we all do to a certain extent. We see these people who are always traveling and they're always partying. And, but I, I do recognize, and I think living in Yellowknife has re made me recognize that it's like, if you actually want to live a more fulfilling life, like just being kind of detached from any sense of community or like really building something that will last longer is like not the way to do it. Like you do have to stay put, but the problem with doing that is like, then you have to deal with your, well, especially for me, romanticizing always escaping and like yeah. and romanticizing, it's just escapism in general. Like, oh God, I'd love to just get out of here and go back to Mexico and lay on the beach and you know. And it will be great for a while until the same shit comes creeping back into your mind. Exactly. And you try and to it, go again or you or you have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I love this idea of like, you know, it, it's kind of like top up, uh, top down full of... <laughs> therapy it's like usually you deal with like how's your day-to-day -day? like have you been exercising enough eating enough blah 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 but then you're like you're jumping to the, like the questions that are like going to creep up no matter what life yeah, you're living of like totally. well, what do i really like who am i like how in control am i of all of this which is a super interesting question to me because i like more and more and as i get older like i have become a real fatalist in that like sure there's a few maybe paths we could take but like maybe like essentially life is like a train track and like you can get on and off the train and walk around and maybe you get on a different train with some different people but like the track's only really going one place and yeah like, maybe it's a circle i don't know exactly but like you don't have as much control totally. as you think it is like you don't you know you can't build a whole new train and a whole new track yeah. and go somewhere completely even else. if you thought you could decide between a and b like because of all the con the things that have led up to where you are now, you were going to decide B. Yeah, exactly. And maybe you can delay deciding B and, like, go do some other things. But eventually you just get there and it, the universe or whatever pulls you back. I mean, that's a belief I've started to come is that believe is that, like, I think a lot of people can put off things and they can think about it some more. But, like, you know, eventually you just kind of fall into line because there's so yeah. much biology and yeah. so much causal effect yeah. forcing you, you know, it's like an avalanche. Yeah, you didn't, you know, you didn't choose your genes, you didn't choose your parents or where you were born or all that. And then, like, you know, a series of cause and effect leads to, like, where you are at now. And, yeah, so, you know, in real, in thinking about some of this and, like, realize, deciding for myself, like, okay, maybe free will isn't a thing. Um, actually, it opened up, like, um, an incredible amount of, like, space, of, or, or, like, a relief, kind of. I was like, oh, okay, I have freedom to just enjoy this and, like, you know, 
it doesn't all, I don't need to find an answer. Like there is, you know, I can let that go and I can just enjoy what's happening and enjoy the ride and, and, and you know, connect with people around me, um, really examine my experience, what it feels like to be here. Like to, I took up meditation a little bit, which has been really um, interesting. And yeah, so yeah, just it feels kind of like this like healing journey that's kind of been healing from like the trauma that is having a child it really impact like changes your life quite completely and I think a lot of people really resist that which totally makes sense you think you're this person you have a kid suddenly you have to take care of them completely and your life as you knew it is over (laughs) um and like it makes sense to resist that and to be confused um So for me, like the last little while, I feel like I've been finding space to like recover from that trauma and like be really genuinely like happy. And it's enriched relationships with my family, with my kids um, and made me just like feel better (laughs) as a like, you know, day to day basis. I mean, there's a lot of acceptance in that. I mean, because like the first thing that happens is an abundance of responsibility and then like a complete destruction of ego and then you tackle on like being a lot of self-reflection and coming to this conclusion that like which is one tied to ego like you know egomaniacal people are like i can do whatever i want whenever i want perhaps there's no consequences and like i'm not a product of my environment and and you know to a large extent we're all told like you can do whatever you want and it's like like you can maybe but like you can do whatever you want within a little spectrum of like where you are at in your life And if you want to, like, you know, maybe you can do some other things, but you're going to be fighting your biology and you're going to be swimming upstream the whole way. And so to, like, kind of, like, come to acceptance with all of those things at once and then learn to operate and, you know, arguably have a sphere where you have free will to make limited decisions or or each maybe even, like, free will to choose how you're going to perceive what's happening, you know? Because I think you can definitely, you have a choice how you're going to create patterns in your brain of, like, I'm just always going to be mad at myself or, you know, like you can change how happy you are through a lot of work and training and whatnot, but perhaps you can't actually change the circumstances to the extent we all think we can. And you can change like how you react to circumstances. Absolutely. And then over time, perhaps that cascades into a larger change. Yeah. Like we are part of the causal chain, like our reactions to circumstances, the ways in which we put effort into our daily lives are a part of the causal chain and they impact other people's realities like your children or your friends or your loved ones community so of course how you spend your time matters no absolutely and i i mean this is like i why i really love this idea of motherhood and like family and i mean to a larger extent community and it reminds me of uh if you have you ever seen this it's a wonderful life Anyways, the premise yeah. of It's a Wonderful Life is, like, this angel comes down yeah. and he and he shows the guy what his town would be like without him ever there. Because he's, like, thinking of killing himself. He's just down, thinks nothing has ever done his matter. And it, it shows this, like, ripple effect of, like, you know, you make a few strong moral positions in your life or take on some responsibility. And then it, like, cascades out into everyone else. And it's... Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's kind of like this counterintuitive thing thing or it it seems you know it's like saying yeah you don't have a lot of free will but like your actions matter so much because they're so interconnected to everything else 
you know, and people I think have a hard time coming to grasp with both of those yeah, axioms being true. Yeah, it's hard to reconcile true. those, and I've, I've been working on it. It's my current project. Yeah, and I, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you don't, no one has to. I mean, there's philosophy papers that are hundreds of pages long yeah. about these questions, and you know, if you can reconcile them for the purposes of your life, yeah, that's totally. probably a good enough goal. Yeah. I mean, or you can, you know. I mean, but like Next I said, I, I do think there is a lot to reading, like, I, I mean, I'm a huge Nietzsche fan, and it's I can't even begin to read it. It's so difficult. And I think he's like, you know, there's these people who've spent their entire lives thinking about these questions and probably actually didn't do uh, take on a lot of responsibility. A lot of these guys are notoriously bad fathers or oh, yeah. bad people. They totally. were just in their heads and thinking in this ethos that oh, is men. so much above. So many men. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just were drunks and whatnot. But Sometimes when you read those things and you could pull out that little like bit of meaning it, and bring, apply it to your own life, it's it's life changing. Yeah, it gives you a foundation. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, the lens through which you view your experience and your reality has such an impact, right? And if you see, like, for me, for example, if I when I when I saw like motherhood as being something that was like taking away my time and like m making it so difficult to do the things I enjoyed then of course like I resented it and just like a, a change in perspective is huge um yeah and I think this is a it's a big change in perspective for you I imagine who is like you're a very fun person like thanks, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I I mean like I can think of a lot of times we've hung out and it's like you're not fitting in that stereotypical motherly qualities, but it's like, that's why I love you as a person. And it's like to, you know, I would never think that you should lose those things, but it's like perhaps if that was like your defining characteristic before, it's a bigger change than right. someone who's like, you know, really their whole life has been like, I'm going to be a mother. And they like, that's all they've been doing and they've catered their life before that to do it. And it's like, yeah, yeah. No, and I think, like, also hanging on to, like, like I mentioned, parts of, like, what I enjoy doing before is important. Absolutely. Continuing to find enjoyment in those things. Um, not, like, being like, okay, this is how a mom ought to be. I'm going to be this way. That's all important. But... Yeah, and I think, like, a stereotypical idea of what a mom should do is... It's, it's like, bullshit. It's mothering for perception of outsiders as opposed to your children you know yeah totally and as opposed to yourself yeah yes 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 <laughs> well, this is great yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think on that note we're over an hour i think that flew by pretty quick uh, it did. we'll end it with uh this is great <laughs> uh everyone welcome to the hms scandamaniac podcast live from the great sh shores of great slave lake i should really work on my intros and outros. <laughs> bring the ship smell